Welcome to the Scottish Watches podcast. It's that time again. He's been here once before this year, along with his boss, but this time he's returned for a solo journey. It is, of course, Landon from Arage, back to tell us more great stories, giving us the truth, giving us the inside scoop on everything that's happening in the Swiss industry. No lies, no bullshit. All we get from this man is the whole truth and nothing but the truth. So how is Landon? I'm doing well, Ricky. It's good to, good to be back and good to see you again. It's been, it's been a few months since we caught up, hasn't it? Nearly half a year. When were you over last? It was July, right? Start of July. And we're okay. almost in the start of December, yeah. Jeez, okay. <laughs> time is flying by. Yeah, it's been quick. Yeah, it's been really quick. It's been a quick while. When we were over the last time, we were just about tickling Superseed. And then out of nowhere, we knew about it, nobody else did, Lensman launch. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. There's loads of things to catch up on. You guys have been busy. You've been hiring new staff, creating new jobs in the industry, bringing out new watches, new designs. But before we get to that, do you know what we do first in the show? Well, a wrist check. Yes. And you guys should be playing along at home. Check the show notes. There will be pictures put in place by Ms. L in a chronological order so you can see exactly what Landon is wearing, what I am wearing, and everything that we're about to talk about, including some sneaky peeks of some things that nobody else has seen yet. So it is worth your while to play along at home. Ray Landon, what's on the wrist? Derby on one. There, have a nice look at it there, Ricky. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so. That's the golden number. That's the C3PO. That is it. Yeah, it's a good name for it because I had Frankenstein through CPO. Also works. Getting some mileage these days. I mean, you you seem to have one as well, and you've been enjoying it, but yeah. it uh, never seems to leave the wrist. I've been wearing the area a little bit, um, but more recently, I put the turbion back on again. Well, mine is back. It has been revitalized. It's had a facelift. It's had a little bit of cosmetic surgery, yeah. and I'm very <laughs> happy with it. Yeah, uh, you got your movement back, and I got the latest iteration of that. And funnily enough, last night, obviously, we record these shows a little bit in advance, especially coming up towards the end of the year, because people do get busy in December. But I was at a Red Bar event last night in Glasgow uh, with the guys from Zodiac. They were across from the first time seeing us, and was actually one of the Red Bar members wearing his Raj Turbion one. Very nice. I probably know which one it is. It's nice to see them out. I, I was actually at the Red Bar Bristol event with Pietro from Limited Edition. We hosted an event there with Red Bar Bristol. And there were, I believe, two individuals there wearing their Turbion ones. So it's it's great to see them out in the wild. Yeah. Now, you'd said to me before we hit record that that is it. You have finally, finally got all the customers, all the Turbion ones. Yeah. So that happened within the month after you left last time I saw you. So we were able to Obviously, the, the production uh, issues that the entire industry has been plagued by, uh, we've taken it very, very seriously. And uh, when we were on the show last time, we talked about all the different things that we've been investing in, from machining to gear cutting to uh, assembly and engineers. And it's really starting to come to fruition. So uh, we've managed to get all those turbine ones out the door. And during that time, we were already starting to machine uh, plates for Lesbian One. Nobody knew about that, but that was happening in unison as well as uh, getting all the machining in place for K2, for Superseed. So there's been a lot of things happening behind the scenes. Our production, our engineering, watchmaking team has been growing, and we're, yeah, we're in a pretty good place now. You've said there that fulfillment, getting parts, getting machining, etc. Is that a case that it's all sorted for you guys or within the industry as a whole? Because you're in Switzerland, you can see exactly what's happening around you. Definitely um, not for the industry as a whole. I've talked to you know, a few, few different individuals within the industry and there are delays on, on things, uh, you know, well into into the future. And that is because 
of this sort of COVID hangover that everybody's going through where everybody woke up and decided, okay, we better place parts of the production and make sure that we get our parts finished. And, you know, there's been uh, brands putting in two, three, four times the amount of what is actually needed and taking up all that available uh, production space. So this is causing delays for everybody, but there are certain parts that come out of production faster than others. And there's certain parts that just take a long time to produce. The longest uh, producing or the longest lead time for parts for, for us and what is why we invested was in it was in bridges because it's one of the last ones that's produced in production and it's the one that takes the most amount of time so bridges and and main plates and so we started machining that stuff ourselves as well we've started to machine or, or, or cut all our own gears um, we've uh, which is pretty fascinating to to see how that's done and how many gears can be turned out in a day. Um, our, our guys are, you know, they're working, you know, on a micron level and they're turning out, um, well, they're, they're essentially managed to figure out a way to produce about three times the amount of gears within the same time cycle as what another brand would do. Uh, so they've, uh, they're really into <laughs> having engineers and having professionals um, working on this that are, you know, very, very uh, skilled at their craft has helped us to expedite these processes. So taking these these uh, long timeline projects in house has been beneficial. Well, before we get further ahead, should you not ask me what I'm wearing? I should. And I was going to ask you that before I went rambling there and then you said, but, and then <laughs> so now we're we're back here and Ricky, what are you wearing today? There's no point asking me because I'm wearing the same watch as you, but mine's not made of gold. <laughs> okay. The uh, 904L stainless steel turbine one. Yeah, yeah, that one. That one. Yeah. That's been getting a lot more wrist time recently. Yeah. yeah, since I got it back, I used it a little bit and then a whole load of different watches came into play with. But yours has come back out. You might have seen a post on Instagram just a couple of weeks ago there. Probably the big thing to talk about is the new release. Right, yep. We knew about it when we were over because one of the whole points of us coming across to Switzerland to see you guys was to go on a tour of all the different production facilities that you use for the different constituent parts because you're very open and honest and you tell people like it is, these are Swiss made components, Swiss made parts, but you utilise the best in the business for the different areas of expertise that people can produce parts in, the guys that do certain types of dials, certain metal work, certain finishing. You'd worked with Armin Strom, we got to meet them in person again, thanks to you guys and with the stuff you're doing just now leading on to Lensman I suppose that's probably where we should land so where was the idea of doing a watch that was to do with photography we've kind of given a little bit of the story from what we could piece together ourselves but straight from the horse's mouth tell us what was the design ideas behind that now this uh, this actually started well over a year ago um, the, the the ideation of, uh, of creating a, a photography inspired watch or photography inspired collection because Lensman 1 is the first of the Lensman series so there will be a Lensman 2 and uh, the the idea to start with a tourbillon is that coming off of the uh, off, off of a tourbillon one, we just had so many requests from from enthusiasts for a tourbillon watch that it just seemed fitting that we start with the uh, with the tourbillon in the in the collection. So the the idea of working um, from the photography standpoint is uh, due to I, I guess myself and and Marcus. Uh, within the company, Marcus is an engineer who's very much the gearhead when it comes to photography. And then there's myself, who once upon a time worked as a professional photographer in in action sports and yeah, in, in different capacities. And today, uh, it would 
I just see, you know, from from Instagram to, uh, you know, red bar meetups, everybody has their phone out. They love taking photos of their, their watches. Integrating these two worlds um, is, is was just seemed kind of natural as well. The, the collector mindset behind um, watches and photography is, is is pretty much the same. I mean, from a from a from a standpoint, is that people like to collect cameras. I myself, I collect cameras, and I know individuals that collect different cameras. I probably have more cameras than I have watches, and uh, it's just uh, just something that I that I enjoy. So everything from film cameras to you know old digital stuff. What's the oldest digital camera you've got? Uh, the oldest digital working camera at the moment. Is the D1 from Nikon? Yeah. Oh, what's that? 1998, 99? Uh, yeah, it was an early, or was it 2000? Somewhere in there. And I thought, yeah, I started shooting with that. That then it turned into. Then I got into the D100, and I went D70s, and I shot a bunch of those D70s, and then it went into the D700, which I used a lot for action sports photography. I think I went to three of those, and it, I still have a D700. And then, yeah, I have a few other little film cameras from medium format stuff to a uh, 35 millimeter. Oh, what do you got here? You got the new Nikon Z. Yeah, Z9. Yeah, nice, Ricky. I was good. I also have a Z6. It's uh, it's what I use for shooting the some of the watch stuff. But the Z9 is very nice. It's insane. Gave it its first run through last night. Depending how this show goes out, you might have heard this story already. So I'll make it brief in case you already have. Took this out for going at Red Bar which if anyone has been to Glasgow Red Bar and you have, it's like taking photos in a coal mine. <laughs> yeah, it is, is a horrible place to shoot photos in. It's bollocks. <laughs> yeah. And everyone has to use their phone for the LED flash to illuminate things, which means if they're doing that, then someone else has to use their phone to take the picture. So I was using available light across the whole place and the quality of the images on the Z9 versus the D800 that I had before that's been running for 10 years, it is night and day. And the way that it instantly focuses and it does 8K video, 60 frames a second, internal raw recording. Just absolutely incredible. Really, really happy with it. And uh, glad that I held out for this instead of going for the 850 or okay. the Z6 or the, the Z7, stuff like that. So yeah, putting that to the side, we're here to talk about watches. Continue. Tell me more about Lensman. Yeah, so uh, we started looking at, you know, how to, to tell the story of... Um, uh, around photography and when I was uh, involved in in um, in action sports photography people referred to one another as lensmen or a master lensman per se and uh, you know that guy was, that was a, a master lensman and it was uh, it was just something that kind of stuck and it rolled off the tongue and he said hey that's that's the name we're going to pick that lensman I like that so um, that's the, the way that it came to be and then we started looking at how to uh, I, well first of all I, I noticed and and Sue and and the other in the companies noticed that people just love to magnify this turbine cage and and zoom into it and and just get into all the the, the details there. Apart from Dave. Apart from Dave, I mean, he doesn't like turbines, but uh, he did mm. say he liked Lensman. He appreciated it. So uh, <laughs> whether he was just trying to be nice, um, we'll leave it at that. But I thought about putting the the Cyclops uh, um, that you know that you see on a, on a date window and just shifting that to six o'clock and and magnifying the turbine cage. So that's the reasoning there. And it also ties into the magnification of a lens. And then um, I do have a secret, I guess you could say street photography and, and lifestyle photography camera that I shoot with, which is a Leica. 
M262, and there are lenses um, from Leica that I really like, like the Noctilux. And uh, this Noctilux uh, is the aperture ring from it is actually used on the something that looks a little bit like it. You mean? Oh, I should say something that looks a little bit like it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. I mean, there's any number of lenses you can choose from. It's just one that has uh, is the so widest open, and it creates great bokeh and. Um, I love shooting with that, especially for portraits and also um, sunrise photography, uh, which I which I really enjoy. You get this sort of very mystical sort of hue from the lens. So that was the the inspiration there, and then the the inspiration for the 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 top ring and the bezel of the watch was the the focus ring from from a camera lens, and uh, it just integrates really really nicely. And also you have that full crystal all the way to the edge, so it really kind of looks like a a lens. So for the dial, look for inspiration from the aperture blades as well as just going with a very traditional black and sort of steel look to the uh, the watch overall. Uh, on the app leaks, there's black lumino luminous as well as white luminous. So on the hands, we have this white luminous and then we have this black luminous in the indices. And uh, we use the black. You'll notice that there's black on on the crown. There's also black on the on the indices because uh, I like to black out all the, the logos on my cameras yeah? and all the details. When you're shooting, as you know, Ricky, when you're shooting uh, uh, product photography or something really close up, sometimes those can show up. And also when you're walking in the street somewhere, let's say you're not in maybe the best neighborhood or wherever else, any sort of brand names can kind of attract some of the, some individuals that you wouldn't want to track to some of your gear, which I've had happen to me numerous of times. So what I tend to do is just put little Canon stickers mm -hmm. on my lenses and my cameras, and then everybody leaves you alone. <laughs> Nobody wants them. Yeah, like that could work. Definitely. I just prefer the uh, the black electrical tape. It just black those details out. And then over the case back of the watch, it is uh, we went with that um, semi skeletonized design like we had on the Turbion One, and it's uh, finished in black PVD uh, coated and. It's just slightly changed on the backside, so the, the movement itself is a little bit thinner than what we had before. And it also has a circular sort of um, lens-type feel to it on the backside of the watch around where the tourbillon cage is, where it sits directly into the tourbillon, uh, where, the, where the bearing is actually. So what are the changes then between what went into tourbillon 1? And obviously the edition I've got has got the, the second generation of that. Has Lensman got a third generation? From a main plate um, design, yes. It is a third third version of it. Um, from a function standpoint, the function is still the same. The performance is still the same. So it's uh, over 120 hours of power reserve. And um, within cost certification or cost standard, and we ask everybody just to measure their watch. Most people do anyways. They measure their watch and they come back to us and say it's even better than what they had anticipated. And um, and so, yeah, as far as the function and the technical side is, is the same, but we've changed the, the main plate slightly for, for this just because because the design has changed. Well, I remember when I tested mine before I gave it to you and after I dropped it in the floor that I never told you about before, but I did when I was in Dubai, it was still running at plus one second a day. And you also took that other one out for on the, on the range with the shotguns. Yeah, the one, oh God, that was like a year and a half that's ago. Not, that's not the best thing for a watch. <laughs> well, I did ask your permission. Yeah, I wanted to you see the results. Yes, and it did, 
it survived and then it went to Watchfinder after me and Adrian had been out with Gordy Spacetime shooting fake Rolexes and making YouTube videos. That was actually discussed last night at Red Bar as well because Gordy was along and we were reminiscing about that time we spent the day in the blistering hot sunshine on a sunny summer Scottish day which don't happen very often and how much of a good time we actually had there with Adrian and about 10 cameras set up to capture everything in slow-mo. So if the movement itself, as you're saying, hasn't really changed much, it's just a slight deviation to fit with the new layout. Something I'd noticed was that it appears as if, tell me if I'm wrong here, the price for this edition is actually less expensive than the one that came out a year and a half ago. But everything in the world has gone up in price. Yep, you're correct. And uh, we we talked a lot about this, and it was Andy. You know, and he 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 has worked really hard with the with the team to to cut down costs and to really own into our our manufacturing. And through taking a lot of our manufacturing more in in house with each and every project, we've been able to get costs under control. He always says cost comes from not knowing. And typically, when a brand has a lot of cost, they have a, a higher price point because there's you know there's there's middlemen along the way that need to earn some level of margin and it completely impacts the end cost of the watch. So with this project we we looked around and also what was happening in the market is that there's this sort of I guess you could say corporate inflation that's happening, inflation for the sake of inflation happening, not because maybe some brands have incurred some additional costs, but they see it as a way just to put the price up because, hey, everybody else is doing it. And Andy is a, a very honest individual and so say that's not the right thing to do. And if anything, because we have our costs under control, we should be looking at uh, bringing the price down. So it is actually around 100 Swiss francs less in production than Turbion 1 is. And, but the difference between Turbion 1 and this one, Lensman 1, is that this we've included tax, duties, and shipping in the price of the watch, whereas those were not included uh, in Turbion 1. So um, it's uh, it doesn't include some of the countries like Indonesia or India and, and China, just because they have luxury Um situation there where they have significantly high taxes but um, for anybody who wants to reach out to us and order from those areas we can uh, work with them to arrive at the at what the additional cost is uh, in those locations but for the rest of the world it's uh, yeah the UK for example it's uh, I believe it's the combined duties and taxes in the UK is around 25% and that's already included into the price of the watch that's good because it's a bit of a gotcha. I got a gotcha the other day. I bought something from Amazon and it didn't say that it was coming from a third party dealer. It didn't say it was coming from somewhere out with the UK. And I get hit with a £70 custom charge for buying something on Amazon. So that wasn't expecting that. And I'm like, what the hell's going on here? So that is fantastic news. And if you'd managed to keep it the same price it would have been impressive. But to actually reduce it is something else because nobody in the watch industry seems to be doing that. Even the smaller microbrand guys, they've really struggled in the last six months to a year to keep their prices competitive and they've had to increase their prices and we know behind the scenes exactly what goes on. So well done to you guys for managing to do that. What is the situation then for people that are looking to jump on board with this one? When can they order? How long is it going to take? Do you have an idea of how many watches you can produce in this lineup per month, per year? Actually, from when we're recording this, uh, November 22nd at uh, 1400 Central European time, I will go live with the pre-order. And uh, it's priced at 8390 Swiss francs. So 8390 Swiss francs. That's including shipping duties tax. And that price is going to be open until for five days. So that will go until November 27th. That's the Sunday at uh, 1400 CET. And then after that, the pre-order will remain open 
but it will go to 8890. We have done that just to enable as many people to take part in it. We've noticed, you know, when we did Turbion 1, people have come back to us and say, hey, I missed out on that Turbion 1. I only just heard of it now. Can you please make me one? And it's like, well, we had the pre-order open for two years. Um, and yeah. we tried to make it open uh, for as long as possible for for everybody. And, uh, you know, this uh, we, we want to... Um, try to collect orders in a certain time frame because we have to go on to design and development and speaking about all these things. You know, it's 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 myself and Sue handling the sales. So if you're talking to Betty, anybody in the company, it's it's going to be us. We don't have any sort of external big sales team. We're 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 a smaller company, and that's how we're able to stay lean and keep our our prices in check. And that's why we have a certain timeline. But it is also allows people, I think, enough time to think about a watch. So that's going to be open till February. Yeah, and in. During that time, we'll collect as many orders come in. I want to take part, putting a cap on it at around 500 pieces, which um, would be great as a company for us to reach. But uh, for as an enthusiast, just to put things in perspective, we sold 260 Turbion once. So if we get close to that or around there, we'll also be happy and uh, and we'll stop basically at the February at the start of February with with Lensman. It'll be a single edition, and it will continue on from there. So if we let's say sell three hundred pieces, there'll only be three hundred pieces in the market. That's pretty good going. And I remember being over in New York just a couple of months ago there, and I brought the Tourbillon one with me. I was bringing watches that maybe the Yanks had not seen before, and a lot of people were like, "You say, oh, I've never heard of this. I've never seen it before." And I'm thinking it's been everywhere. It was no dinky. We've talked about it. Watchfinders talked about it. You must have been living under a rock but I did tell them don't worry something's coming out keep an eye on our page we'll tell you as soon as we know something or we're allowed to tell you so that is good and everybody that has seen my Turbion one in real life as well as obviously the pictures online they've been blown away by it and they've been blown away by the price point so this new one here which is not as divisive looking because a lot of people really appreciated my watch but looked at it and said that lattice arrangement wasn't quite in their wheelhouse especially Dave Dave wasn't a big fan of it but as you say he prefers the Lensman and what's the response been like since the announcement what's the feedback been like because as you say you're the guy that's got a little picture on the website that says would you like to chat yeah so what have people <laughs> been chatting to you about the new one no, it's been, there's been a lot of excitement and uh, it's interesting because we've we've had those uh customers that have come to us and said listen we want to have a traditional design that's when turbulent one first came out it's like i hate skeleton design watches and this is never going to sell and, and everything else. And now that we've created Turbion 1, there's a, there's a lot of demand for it and there's a lot of interest. So that's sort of been, I guess, implanted in people's mind as an expected Turbion design from Orage. But we were listening to our customers that didn't want to have a semi-skeletonized design. And we went with more of a traditional dial with a whole punch design in Lensman 1. And those customers love it. And then there's still the ones that said, why why can't you do the skeleton design again, you know? And it's like, oh, we're always trying to do something different and new. And uh, it's been a bit interesting. But for the most part, uh, the response has been extremely positive, um, especially around the story uh, that's built in around it. It's not like we just, you know, hired XYZ photographer or model and and made them the, the the face of this project. It's it's something that's that's close to me and other individuals in this in this in our company. And we're just sharing with people our our interests in in the world. And we've realized that there's others that share those same interests. So as I've been touring around when there's been to um with limited edition, you know, this last week at Pietro or we've been in uh, Taipei, we held an Arash event there last month, Andy and Sue were there. Um, the the response has been phenomenal. And once people see it and they put it on their wrist, they can't believe how light the watch is. I mean, it's 
10.3 millimeters. Without the strap, it's 44 grams. And with the strap, it's 64 grams. So extremely low profile, very, very lightweight. That makes for a very nice wearing comfort when you consider it has a a 47.3 to 49 uh, mil lug to lug. It uh, that that weight distribution just feels really great on the wrist, and it and it works for a broad range of wrist sizes. It's been really well received, and seeing that tourbillon moving and and obviously unmagnified is something that people hadn't seen before. And it's the first mm. tourbillon I'm aware of that has had uh, a cyclops placed over. Be interested to see if anybody can share one with us, but to this date, I haven't found anything like that. And how is it you've applied the Cyclops because what I'd heard from Rolex and I don't know if it's true or not was they've actually got the Cyclops glued onto the Sapphire is it the same with you guys? Yep. Okay, that was a quick answer. Thanks, Landon. We'll move on to the next thing. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes it is, Ricky. Well, you mentioned Pietro at the limited edition there. Now, obviously, he's based down south, up in Scotland. You have done things with James Porter and Son. You've done a day. You've done a couple of things with us. Going way back, you did a, a video with us, a Red Bar event. Are you going to be doing any more kind of roadshow type stuff to show these things off? Yeah, so actually, tomorrow. So this will air uh, after um, this takes place, or actually today. And in Los Angeles, uh, Eric, our, our concierge, is holding an event there with the Neighborhood Watch Club. And then in December, early part of December, we'll be doing a Red Bar LA as well. I think that will be it for the season. So uh, that's about it for the events coming up. And then if anyone wants to come by and visit us at our location or go to James Porter if they're in Scotland or limited edition in London. Um, there's a, we also have a concierge retailer in Hong Kong named Bing Watch uh, Channel. It has nothing to do with the watch brand. And then we also have our locations in Taipei and Tainan. Can we stop talking about Lensman and talk about something I've been wanting to chat about for about a year? Yeah, let's do it. People may or may not know there was a patent involving silicon technology with watchmaking. And that patent is no longer, apparently. So do you want to tell us that story? But it is still in place, yeah. Um, but it expires on November 25th of this year. And I, I wish Andy was in the call. Unfortunately, he's getting in shape right now. He's at the gym. Uh, but uh, he's. Uh, this is something he's been waiting eight years, uh, far longer for to pass. Uh, because we've invested heavily in in our own silicon technology, so we're one of few that have developed their their own geometries and their own processes for uh, developing silicon technology. And uh, it is now time for the last piece of the puzzle: the silicon hairspring patent goes to the wayside as of November twenty fifth, and that's the reason why uh, the superseat watches themselves. We want to ship them with this uh, silicon hairspring anchor and and escape wheel, and the reason why we cannot do anything until after uh, the 25th because um, of this patent being in place. So in December, some point in December, we'll actually start being able to deliver watches to our customers. Yeah. Now, we've known about this for a while, but we were sworn to secrecy, so we didn't say anything. But I'm glad that the cat's finally out of the bag. It's the springs was the part that everybody was waiting for, isn't it? Patent expires probably by the time you will have heard this, I think, or within the next few days, and why is silicon hairspring technology important? Why is it better than the stuff that's out at the moment? 
the benefits of silicon, for the most part, is uh, its material composition. Yeah, it's extremely lightweight, and it requires less lubrication and and oiling, so that it is basically has a longer reliability or stability with our product. So we always tell our customers, bring a watch in only when it needs it, when it comes from a serviceability standpoint. Uh, that's because we have observed that you know an escapement that has at least an uh, an anchor and an escape wheel made from silicon is stable for you know upwards of 10 years and uh, it's just an incredible material to work with add in a silicone hairspring and you improve isochronism uh, the most important part for us is the the assembly or the, and the regulation of it uh, because this uh silicone hairspring and balance wheel matching that needs to be done uh can be done directly within the reactor so we're able to match um basically uh components in the reactor so they're they're all given a, a number yeah and we're able to match them up basically the way it works right now is that when we have hairsprings that come in steel hairsprings that come in and we have a balance wheel uh they we need to place the springs on a machine to find out how it's performing so it's graded or gains a number and then that number is then matched with a similar grading for the balance wheel um, when they come from the reactor, we already know that they're pre-graded or pre-matched per se. And then we can more easily match it with a balance wheel. So that makes assemblies very quickly. So essentially, when you put all the parts together of the escapement, you have something that works relatively within cost straight out of the gate without a watchmaker having to do too much regulation. And that's the, what we see is a true benefit of it. The other benefit that everybody likes to market is uh, anti-magnetism. You know, it's anti-magnetic. And uh, yes, it is because there is, there's no metal in there. Uh, but uh, for us, from a regulation, from a stability and a performance standpoint, that is, uh, those, those things are more important to us than anti-magnetism. Basically, it's cool. Basically, okay. it's cool. I like cool. the sound of that. Yeah. Well, if we're talking about the movement technology here that's in K2, and that is what's appearing in Superseed, how has Superseed been received? Because we've not really checked in on that one for a while. Yeah, so as as mentioned, Superseed is reliant, 100% reliant on the, the K2 movement being completed. So currently, all the gears have been cut, all the bridges have been finished, the decoration has been complete, uh, and we've already started assembling the first 200 movements so once those are all assembled then at the end of the month after the patent expires then we can send the movements into cosc after two three weeks once they come back then we can do final assembly of the watch so all of the details of supersede are coming together really well as far as it sort of it's been like this living project since last last september so a year ago september 2021 and we enabled people to vote on the different materials that they wanted to have involved in it as far as and finishes so let's say we have had um, polished or press center links. We had uh, three different rotor choices that we had people vote on, which was the gold-plated tungsten, 22-karat gold, or the um, platinum rotor. And uh, at the time, the platinum rotor was called mystery material um, because we weren't sure what was going to be working. We we liked the idea of working with gold, but obviously it's a little bit lighter. It's a little less dense than tungsten and platinum. And so it went to the wayside and we decided to offer two materials. We were also unsure of how it was going to uh, perform in depth rating so we would had liked it to reach 200 meters and we communicated that up front that you know right now it's 100 meters 
water resistance. We're trying to get it to 200 and we managed to do that as well. So it's a 200 meter watch under 10 millimeters, uh, GMT with day night indicator, power reserve indicator, uh, calendar. And that is, to my understanding, the thinnest watch that can reach that depth rating with those functions. So we managed to add all that in and then we started bringing in different rubber straps. There's been big interest in us finally having an orange strap. Yeah, People have been requesting that for a long time. And uh, yeah, we found a nice color orange. We've integrated that into the selection now. So now you have six rubber straps to choose from. And then the last piece of the puzzle, which we're just finishing right now, is the the tool that goes along with the uh, with the watch, which is enables you to change the strap and the bracelet. Yeah, because the the watch or the straps are fixed with a hex screw, and we've developed a tool that basically holds the the watch in place and enables you to change that easily without having to worry about things scratching or the watch slipping out of your hand and. Uh, those have been machined and those will actually ship um, with your watch. So you get a very nice um, proprietary strap changing tool from Mirage when you receive your watch. Excellent. So when are the customers likely to get their hands on it, do you reckon? Yeah, so we are working towards the first 200 in, by the end of December and then we work into the next batch into into January and we just keep moving through those. So right now we have about 400 pieces um, that have been sold and uh, we just won't stop until they're all out the door. So People have pre-ordered at different timelines and we want to try to deliver by those timelines or a little bit earlier this time around. Yeah, because I know quite a number of people that have placed the order and are waiting, anticipating uh, some getting a knock on the door so they've got something new for the wrist. Now, see the old models that you guys historically had with the K1 movements. When we last spoke, you said once all the K1 movements are used up, that's kind of it. Have you guys still got some of the older models in stock? Are they still available or is everything pretty much away now? We have uh, still K1 watches in stock and, um, you know, to put things in perspective, we, we do about uh, a thousand watches a year right now. So we are still very quite limited in the in the grand scheme of things when, you know, there's watch brands doing 52, you know, 800,000 watches a year, 50,000 to, uh, sorry, 800,000 watches a year. It's still a very low production. And uh, we're finding that people that have come into these newer projects, whether it be Superseed or, or the Turbion, they are then, you know, exploring our back catalog. I think we talked about this once before, um, but if we are still continue selling uh, K1 movement watches, but once all those movements are, are gone, those watches will no longer uh, be around and, you know, K2 and, and the Turbion movement will be our new workhorses in our collection. And then at some point, uh, I'm sure we'll come out with a new automatic, uh, but uh, that's something that's in the works. And uh, But and it just has no definitive date at this time. These projects take anywhere from two to five years to develop. Well, with all the R&D costs that go into creating things, and this is when Turbion 1 came out and you guys said, that's it, we're cutting things off, we're not going to take any more orders. I knew fine well that you weren't just going to design something and then put it in the bin. It would come out in something else or a new version of it. What is K2 likely going to end up in after Superseed? Is there anything you can tell us there? Mm, that's a good question, Ricky. We do have a lot of plans for for K2. Basically, Supersede, just like what we had with Atark, you know, Atark was demonstrating the full function of K1. Supersede is demonstrating the full function of K2. And so anything we do from onwards right now is either going to be, maybe it'll be something with a GMT, maybe it'll be a reduction of those functions and presented in a different way, but we will do something there and uh, we'll probably do 
something for Lensman as well. Currently, we've talked about you know Lensman One being a uh, a Terbium project. Lensman Two will eventually come out, and it'll probably be summer based on the Gate Two platform because that is the only other movement we have. So it just makes hmm. makes sense that we would do something there with it. How those functions will be uh, demonstrated—that's uh, in all the other details around it. Lips are sealed. We'll have to see. <laughs> I'll have to just wait and see on that one. Being tight-lipped for the first time ever, Landon. Well done, you. And are you going to be doing technology sharing and working with other companies? Because obviously we've spoken in depth in the past about you working with the guys at Bremont. I was recently down there seeing the launch of their new integrated bracelet models, uh, Supernova, etc. And they were chatting away. We actually had, I don't know if you heard the show, but we actually had Nick on the show discussing the new range they had out and how the partnership with you guys is going very well. Are you working with them on future things or are you going to be taking K2 technology out to the open market to enable other developers to use it? Yeah, uh, as far as K2 is concerned in, in Turbian, there isn't anybody that we're working with um, on it at this time. So I can openly say that those are, I guess, barrage developments. And uh, yeah, currently there isn't any interest to do much else there as far as our relationship with, with Bremont. Exactly as Nick said, it's going very well. And uh, so I got a great team to work with. Anytime I bump into somebody, it's always nice to have a laugh with them and, and to hang out and uh, to see the project projects that they're bringing to light with K1. You know, it's 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 nice to see that it's moved onto this next generation of watches and to see it continue on with them. So uh, as far as other brands are concerned, um, we do have some things that, I mean, obviously we have an engineering wing of our company and uh, engineering in, in Switzerland, uh, I mean, for our, for our small little brand, it's a, it's a costly endeavor to have. So it helps us basically grow Orage in a, in a nice holistic way. And uh, we can offset some of our, our costs of development by having our team work with others. So there there are some things happening behind the scenes, but you're just going to have to wait for another episode for us to talk about that in more detail. And if somebody is listening that perhaps works for a watch company or they have their own watch company and they're looking for some cutting edge technology, micro rotor movements, etc., you'd be open to having a chat? Um, currently, our team is completely um, in the trenches with all these other projects we have going on. We are more than open to people reaching out to us and, and expressing interest and asking how they can get involved and work on a lot of these things. But um, this this current project we're working on is it's significant and it's uh, it's taking a lot of our team's capacity. So no one f*** off is the answer? <laughs> no, not really. Um, yeah, definitely, definitely reach out, but we shouldn't put the expectation that we are an OEM movement supplier. Uh, we we are not. And we would like to find out a way someday that we can, at least in some capacity, provide movements to the market because we realize that there is, you know, a certain demand for it. Uh, but at the end of the day, we also have to deliver movements and watches to our customers, you know, the Arage customers. This is a delicate balance. Well, I've got two questions before we finish up the show, because you're very tired. I can tell. <laughs> I can tell you've not had much sleep as well. So we don't want to hold you for too long. My first question would be, 
about your facilities because there was lots of changes afoot when me and Dave came across and you had plans not only to work with other external contractors where we actually got to do facility tours with you guys but you're going to be bringing things in-house, in-house as in into your building, into your workshop facility and your laboratories. How's that come along and what progressions have been made there? Yeah, it's it's coming along very well. And, you know, when you guys came over, we took you to um, one of our partner facilities there, Public. So we work very closely with them. And this is this is where the, I guess, this is where our, where our main plates, our bridges and these components that take a very long amount of time to produce are, are, are completed. Uh, we also have a, a space in there for where we where we do our own gear cutting. So you're cutting up gear. Yeah, <laughs> we're doing gear cutting in in plate manufacturing there. So pretty just so all the all the flat parts are done there. And then as far as our facility, where you know you had seen the the watchmaking, the decoration, and you know the the, the facility that looked more like a laboratory. Um, we're going to be expanding into the into the um, in the last wing there in the building, and we will be bringing in probably a couple more machines and doing some machining in that facility, as well as uh, uh, integrating our back office personnel into that location too, and and just expanding it there. So as far as um, since you to come and see us, I, I believe we've hired uh, two more two more engineers, a couple more watchmakers, and a couple of individuals to help with uh, quality control and sort as well. Nice to see that's moving along. You did actually show us the big empty warehouse part of the building. Yeah, that's, that's that you were going to be moving into. That that's where we're going, and uh, so it'll be it'll be a pretty good space. And um, we're going to be putting up some walls and all that, and yeah, it'll be fun. Good. That's where the sauna will end up in the pool room. <laughs> Perfect. One of the things that you guys mentioned in the last show, and it was kind of thrown in and then quickly moved away from was diamonds and lab growing. There was a little bit of a chat there. And then I just so happened to be at a press conference with George Kern at Breitling and they started talking about the same kind of stuff. So um, how is all that progressing? Yeah, well, it's been progressing for a long time. Uh, it, we've been working on that for about as long as we have been working on silito- silicon technology. Yeah, So we really have invested a lot of time and, and knowledge into understanding this technology and how it works. Um, as you mentioned, the last episode, there's basically two different uh, processes to growing diamonds. There's CVD and there's um, HPHT, yeah, high pressure, high temperature. Chemical vapor deposition is CVD. And uh, CVD diamonds are what is typically used uh, in the industry for jewelry gate product. Yeah, I would say, because you can get that perfect, bright, clear, white uh, diamond that uh, everybody would like to go after. You can really control the process uh, much, much better than you can with HPHT. If you wanted to have a colored diamond, you would utilize HPHT for that because you can add it in boron to create like a blue diamond and uh, different colors that way. So uh, with this project, we are, um, we've produced all the diamonds for it. I've held them all in my hand. I photographed it. It's just over 46 carats uh, that have been produced. And now the process of polishing and cutting is taking place. And uh, there are, we are actually starting that in the next uh, next month. So I'll be in the facility uh, gathering some, some creative content there, photo and video showing that process of how we actually polish and cut that and also sharing some insights in t- with the individuals that actually work with that material um, because where we're doing this, this is their first time working with CVD and getting their feedback on the differences between a naturally grown diamond and a, and a lab grown diamond. 
Last time we were on the show, David mentioned that there is a also an environmental um, energy standpoint when it comes to producing these these diamonds. To uh, to answer that question, it was kind of added on, you know, because you know they produce a lot of energy here in Switzerland. Or depending on where you're growing them, the the reactors that grow these do not really produce a lot of energy. Um, I, I believe it's sort of this uh, this false misunderstanding that it's uh, that it's producing a lot of energy. It's equivalent to leaving your hair dryer on for the growing cycle of the, the diamonds. So if you, depending on the size of the diamond that you would like to grow, you know, it's uh, it can be anywhere from four days to a couple of weeks. It's equivalent to leaving your hair dryer on for that amount of time uh, to grow this diamond. And here in Switzerland, one of the facilities you work with here, they're utilizing solar power uh, for their their diamond growing. So it's has a very low impact in the grand scheme of thing when it comes to energy consumption. And no kids down mines. No kids in mines. And the other thing that is missed is the, uh, uh, yes, there is, um, there's this, there's this issue with, with, you know, what's known as blood diamonds and, and conflict diamonds, but there's also conflict polishing and cutting. Yeah. Which isn't spoken about very much. And, uh, you know, polishing and cutting is a very hands-on laborious process. And uh, understanding where your diamonds are cut and where they're, they're polished, obviously, is is super important because um, typically something can be produced or purchased from an ethical location. And uh, but where it goes from there into the cutting and 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 polishing side of things is usually pretty gray. And we're we're cutting and and polishing our diamonds directly here in in Switzerland. And so uh, we have, we'll share that. We'll show uh, everybody how we're, we're going about that process for this upcoming watch. And for the people that maybe didn't hear the last episode or are all a bit fuzzy in the details, tell us about the watch before we finish up our show. Yeah, so as I mentioned, I had, what, 46 and a half carats diamonds um, that I was photographing. and Just lying and about. Just lying about. I know about. what it's like. Yeah, it's... it's oh, you're cutting up your gear. <laughs> yeah, before before they're, they're cut and polished, you would just think that they're little... Uh, pieces of glass. I mean, it's uh, it's quite nothing that would be like, oh, those must be diamonds. It just looks like glass. And so, um, oh, where are we at? Right? The question I actually <laughs> asked was, tell us about the watch. Tell you about the watch. So it's gone from 46. Yeah, if you could. Yeah, tell you about the watch. Has it got diamonds in it? 46 uh, carats and it's going to be basically after cutting and polishing, it'll be around 15 carats, 15 and a half carats. And this is an invisible set and they're all big at diamonds and they're set onto a... White gold case. As far as the details of the dial and all that, I don't want to go into too much detail because it will be a surprise, obviously. But it will be either a one of one or a one of two, and uh, it'll be uh, super exclusive. But this is the a watch or timepiece that will then kick off our our um, our brand into producing more of these uh, CBD diamond projects. We want to work exclusively with it. We're not interested in any of the traditional um, naturally grown diamonds. Uh, we believe that this is a way to use technology to control a product process to create a consistent product that is visually and I guess you could say um, atomically the same yeah, as, as a nat- natural diamond. So we're able to create ultimately uh, the best product possible because we're able to control all these variables within a laboratory that you just can't do on the ground. It can take years to collect diamonds that are of the same clarity and and color and uh, and to be able to do this in a laboratory within a couple of months is yeah is is quite impressive with the technology we have today. So as far as details of the watch go, any more than that, I don't want to go into too much details, but we will show more of it 
in the times to come. I can see you're really starting to fall asleep. Yeah, I I, <laughs> so, I really apologize, Ricky, and I apologize for you <laughs> having to cut this together. But you know, this is this is the as I say, the cold and flu season when you have a little little people in your house. Oh, Dave stays with you. I didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's cool. Listen, I really appreciate you giving us a little bit of time, especially when you're a little bit under the weather and you have got the minions roaming around freely looking for candy from Halloween. Always good to chat. It's even better to do it in person. So I will be back across to see you guys next year. Obviously, it's getting a little bit cold and I know what Switzerland's like in the winter. As I head over next year, probably for Watches and Wonders, instead of being there just for a couple of days, which was a mistake that we made this year, thinking we could cover everything. If I come across for a week, do the full Watches and Wonders and then zip across and see you guys along with some of the other people that we didn't really get a chance to see we didn't get a chance to bump into Raphael at Formex they were in a kind of moving situation I know you work with those guys you put us in touch with them years ago and the guys at Arm and Strom so we'll definitely come across spend a little bit more time and hopefully you'll be on the mend and there'll be new things that we can share with the listeners thanks as always for the for the time today Ricky and um yeah the door is always open for you guys so definitely come over and visit us when you're at Watches and Wonders. And if you'd like to support Landon, we have a GoFundMe for his funeral arrangements. <laughs> Details will be in the show notes. Right, Landon, yeah. if people want to check out what your Raj are up to, where can they check out stuff? Raj.com, uh, Raj Swiss at uh, Instagram, Facebook. By the time this thing probably releases, November 22nd, we will have the pre-order going for Lenswin as well as a uh, super seat as well. That's where it's all happening. And obviously join in on our forum, typically once a week or every two weeks, I'm writing something in there where you can hop in the chat, read all the updates that we've been working on with uh, regards to machining and production and, and movement and watch development. So join in there. It's uh, You can find it directly on our webpage. It's uh, under our forum. I really liked reading through the different parts of the article on Turbion One. I think there was four parts. There was only four yeah. parts I've read so far. And that was cool going through the history, obviously owning one and seeing the progression over the years. So the website, the forum, the articles, the blogs, the amount of transparency you guys have got and continue to have is unparalleled anywhere else in the industry. And it's a leading light for everybody else they should follow because if something doesn't sound right, people aren't stupid. They know how to use Google. They know how to use a Wayback Machine and Google Cache. They can find out little bits and pieces and it just takes away people's enjoyment and trust if brands aren't open and honest about things and you guys always have been some of the comments I said somebody a couple of weeks ago messaged me to say what was the episode number for the guys over in Switzerland that were telling the truth about stuff <laughs> and I had to say oh that's Araj yeah we, we named it in such yeah. a way so people could find it easier but yeah it was the guys at Araj so everybody appreciates what you do we do here's to the future here's to a really good 2023 with you guys yeah thanks so much Ricky no problem at all and if you want to check out our stuff we're on Instagram as well at Scottish Watches our shows are out twice a week wherever you heard this you can subscribe website is www.scottishwatches.co.uk and if you've got any suggestions, feedback, comments, criticisms or anything at all, drop us an email info at scottishwatches.co.uk So thanks for listening and we'll catch you guys again soon. Goodbye. Thank you.